Um, today, I want to take time as we start this year to talk about where we're going as a church. I, I call it a Vision Sunday. Um, I, I, I feel like uh, as I share these things, I'm, I, I, there's always a part of me that's a little reticent because of something that I'll explain here in just a moment. But I want to open with this passage of Scripture today out of Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says that we humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purpose prevails. And I read a commentary on that passage of Scripture that says this, a person may and should make plans, but God can sovereignly overrule and accomplish His purpose through what one seemingly plans on his own. And I will tell you that describes my life uh, perfectly. Uh, I've discovered at this point of my life that it, I'm, it's pretty much out of control for me, at least out of my control. And as I get older, I realize that my plans, even the best ones, have to give way to the plans that God has for us. And I, I kind of feel like that's the great adventure. If I if everything was up to me and what I came up with and what I thought about uh, and, and we did those things or I did those things, it would get a little boring. But I will tell you this much, and here's how it works. And what I'm going to tell you right now is a nugget that you ought to write down somewhere if, if you can figure out how to translate what I'm about to say. And that this is kind of how God works. He, he uses our minds, our hearts, the things, our passions, the things that... Uh, you know, that make us up in the Bible that's called our soul. And within all of those things, we start moving towards something. We start taking steps toward uh, a project or toward uh, things that we like and, and things that we want to give to God. And when we do that, God begins to move. He begins to direct us. The only way I could really describe this is when I was a when I was younger, much younger, a kid actually. Um, every vehicle that our family owned uh, was was a manual transmission. It was you know some of you have never driven one of those before, but um, one of the things that typically we had to do, especially on an old truck that my dad had. Uh, we had to do what was called pop the clutch to just to get it started because the battery was always draining and dead. And, and so what you did was you always parked on a hill facing downward and uh, if you could. And uh, if you got in the truck and you tried to turn the steering wheel, there was no such thing as power steering, right? So you couldn't move anything. But if you put the truck in second gear, push in the clutch, and you start going down the hill, you can move the steering wheel any way you want. And then you pop the clutch, let it out, and the thing just takes off, and it's great. I, I still do it. I have an old Model A Ford that I do it with all the time just because I can. You know, it's, just, it's so much fun. But here's, that's how it works with God. When, when, when I've had great plans that haven't materialized, I don't get depressed, I don't get down, because what I've done is I've got things moving, and as you get things moving, God can then direct things the way that He wants to. I am so glad that the things I dreamed up didn't happen. I am so glad that God took those things and brought them to a place where He could do what He wanted to do. And I'll have to, I have to tell you, this church is a prime example of that whole deal. I want to take a moment this morning to talk about how we started, why we started. I was in business. I'd been in business for 15 years. I had zero plans. 
to be a pastor. My dad was a pastor, and, and I, I loved what he did. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor. I loved what he did. It just wasn't in me. I, I really did not plan for this to happen. And uh, I was at work one day, and many of you have heard this story. Many of you have not. So I was working one day in my office, which was in the basement of our house. And in the same room with me was my best friend, uh, a guy like my brother, Tom Stallmaker. And, and all of a sudden, I just had this sense that God was changing something inside of me. And it was like one of those moments, I can't even describe it. It was like, boom, this part of your life is over. And it was not expected because I loved what I was doing. I loved business. I loved my, I I had a great plan. It was working. But there was this thud that hit me. And it wasn't depressing, but it was upsetting a little bit. And I got up and I left. I walked upstairs and Pam was up there and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I I don't know. I think I may have just quit my job. And I walked into a little place at our library in the house and I sat down and I just said, God, what are you, what are you doing? I, you know, something like this has only happened a handful of times in my life and I didn't get this. And I, I, I just sat there and Lord, what do you want? And I looked up on the bookshelf and there was this book still in the cellophane. I don't know if you guys have books like that or not where you buy books and you just don't ever read them. And and, uh, I don't even know where this book came from, but it was there and I pulled it off the shelf. It was called The Purpose Driven Church and it was written by Rick Warren. And I opened it up and I began to read. I read it in two days. And this was a story uh, of Saddleback Church and this church that had been built out of unchurched people, non-believers. And I was so enamored with that idea because I had I, I'd always been in church, always heard about church, you know, doing church that way, but had never seen it. We'd always read about the Great Commission and go into all the world and make disciples. And, and, and the picture is you go and you find people who aren't believers and you turn them into to Christ followers and and I'd heard about it. I'd heard it in sermons. I'd just never seen it. And so it rocked me so much. I, I called Saddleback Church and said, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about them. I was like, can I come and visit? Can I talk to somebody? I want to find out what you guys are doing. And they said, well, um, it might be hard to, to really get you an appointment right now. But we are having a pastor's conference uh, next week. And if you want to come, you can. I said, well, I'm not a pastor. And they said, well, we'll make you one. And so that was my first time of being a pastor. It was just pretend. I got out there, and they had a name tag. It had my name on it, and it said, Church of Northern Virginia, Um, (laughs) which that's kind of large area, right? And um, uh, so I just sat through the deal. By the second day, I called Pam, and I said, guess what we're going to do? And that was, ended up being a two-year conversation. Um, she didn't like, just jump on the bandwagon. And during that two years, I went back to school. You know, I, I, I worked with my partner, Tom, getting ready to hand the business off to him. And, and in 1999, we launched this church. And it was amazing to me what happened. The, the, the dream, the picture of starting a church with unchurched people um, it really began to happen. There were 12 of us who actually started this, jumped in, and, and, and 
<laughs> the 12 of us were believers, but the, the focus was on unchurched people. And, and so they came in. And I'll never forget, um, gosh, the first couple of, uh, uh, we call it step one now, but it, it was 101s. We had them at our house. And we were, the place was filled with, with people who had no relationship with Christ whatsoever. And I just absolutely loved it. Um, it, was, it was amazing. Funny stories that happened. I mean, when, when you start a church, well, I'll, I'll talk about this in just a minute. I want to tell you about, as we got started, though, some of the miracles, things that happened. Um, and a lot of this is about me uh, because I had... I, it was just a crazy journey I was on, but it's mostly about you and about Jesus. And so um, less than two years after we started, I literally walked away from my business. I still own it. I still own it today. I was, you know, but I handed it off to my partner, Tom, and I said, you take it because I've got, you know, I've got this church to start. And less than two years after uh, we started, one morning at 6 a.m., I got a call from Tom's wife, Valerie, and she said, Greg, can you get, meet us at the hospital? She said, something's happened to Tom. And I went to the hospital right away, and, and uh, as they wheeled him out of the ambulance, I discovered that he had died. And 48 years old and a heart attack. And um, that was so crushing. And it was crushing because I, I lost such a dear friend. And, you know, I, I never had a brother, but... Tom was like my brother. We were together all the time for ten years. Just we just worked together, and 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 we're just the best of friends. We shared an office together, and put thousands of miles on cars together, and and um, and then he was he was gone. And more than that, what happens now? Because he was leading this business, and and um, uh, and, and so I won't go into all the story of what happened, but I couldn't leave the start of this church. I just couldn't do it. So I just trusted that with God. And it's been, been really amazing. I mean, at the time uh, when Tom passed away, I think we had 10 or 12 employees. And, and it just continued to grow. And God has blessed that. And we have about 40 employees now. And, 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 and I wasn't even there when it happened. That's a miracle to me. Um, so many of my friends became Christ followers in all of this, and, and um, uh, especially in baseball world. You guys know I was a little league coach, and, and, and we, you know, I was able to lead so many people to the Lord just because you know, of, of this church and being able to connect them with people. And, and uh, In fact, one of our, one of our stalwart families, uh, the Merritts, came out of that era. And by the way, Lulu came first, and... And brought the kids, and eventually Mike showed up. And um, I don't know what was it—two months, a year, whatever. He stayed in kids ministry. He wouldn't come into the adult church. And he says it was because he wanted to make sure the kids were getting a good education. But I think he was just afraid to come into adult church. That's what I think. And um, but they've been such a huge blessing to our family. And just that's just one picture of what God has done over these years. That it's just been a miracle after miracle, money miracles. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times we've had to pray for God to get us through financially. When you start a church with unchurched people, one of the first things you realize is they don't pay tithes. They don't pay anything. They, they'll give you 10 bucks here and there and think that they've really turned the world upside down. It's, just, it's tough. 
And we didn't, you know, we didn't think about that going into this. We just, let's just go start this church. We, we didn't start with a bunch of money. Today, church planters, they go with, you know, $200,000 to plant a church. We had nothing. We, you know, we, we had to go borrow money to buy equipment to start the, start the services with. And, and in one of our, in one of our 101s at our house, I remember this guy coming in and he had just become a Christian. And he goes, uh, Greg, can we, can we talk about something? I said, sure. He goes, this tithing thing. He goes, it's messing me up. He said, can we start? I didn't know what he's talking about. He goes, can we start at 2%? And then I thought, oh, he's talking about tithing. And, and I'm like, dude, 2% is so much better than what you've been giving. Let's, let's, let's start there. Um, you know, but, but so many times God has brought us through difficult times. I, I think of the, the, you know, just two years ago, the sprinkler uh, debacle. That, that was a crazy thing. We got in here, and because of some unfortunate situations, we, we found out that we needed to put a sprinkler system in this entire building, not just the part that we're renting, but the whole thing. Um, we got prices from $150,000 to $180,000. It ended up being two, over $200,000. And, and to this day, I, I guess I could go back with some people and we could figure out part of the answer to this. But the truth is that in one year, you guys gave enough money that we paid that entire thing off in cash and still met budget. It's like, what happened? And I, and I still don't know. I, I just still think about it and I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus. And th- those are just some of the things that God has done. Another most recent miracle for me was this past Christmas Eve. You know, we just did Christmas Eve service and, and tried to do the best we could. 17 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ this past Christmas Eve. That may be the most we've ever had in that short amount of time. And I look at you every Sunday and really, you're the greatest miracle. I, the stories in this room just blow me away. And I know many of you, I know where you've come from. Most of you, uh, you, you think I'm a really good pastor because it's, I'm the only one you've ever had. And, and I'm not going to, you know, don't go online or anything, okay? But, but it's, um, wow. It's just to, be, to just see what God has done in your lives, it just, it just blows me away. And I'm so, so encouraged about this. And, and here's what I wanted to share with you today. We're on a journey as a church. We're, we're getting ready for the next chapter of ministry in this church. And I want to invite you to be on this journey. I can't do it, do it alone. Even if I could, I wouldn't want to because uh, I want you to experience this with me and, and with us as leaders. Um, I want uh, your children and your grandchildren to experience this. I, as, I, as I think about what God wants to do, I think about multiple generations. I think about what's to come, what God wants to do in the future. And so I believe that God is doing something new in us, and I would call it a new wineskin. And the, the, where I get that, that from is out of Luke chapter 5, and I think we've got this verse. I want you to take a look at this. It says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine, 
and ruining the skins. Now let me just stop right here and tell you, Jesus isn't talking about wine as much as he is about vision, about what he wants to do, about something new. He says, new wine must be stored in new wine skins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. He's saying, people just don't want to change. We don't want to move. We don't want to do what's next. And they say, the old is just fine. The way it is. But I don't believe that's where God wants us to be. I believe that He's doing something and He's taking us somewhere. And I don't know everything about this. I don't know where it's going to end up. That's the journey. That's the fun of it. But I do know a few things that God has has put into my heart, and I just want to share those things with you. Um, Over this last year, you heard quite a bit about the 40% and the 60%. So for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, here's the deal. In Loudoun County, and and actually all across our nation, the numbers are about the same. Only 4% of people in our community, in our county, would be considered Christ followers. These are people who who believe the Bible, they they have a quiet time, they go to church a couple times a month. Um, the, The numbers are historically... 4%. 4%. It's been like that since we've moved into the county. The county has gone from 100,000 people to 400,000 people almost. The number's still 4%. Which means that 96% of the people in our community are not followers of Jesus Christ. So of the, of the 96% of people, we can divide those into two groups, the 40%. And the 60%. The 40% are people who might come to a church one day. They may actually go with a friend, be open to an invitation, and they'll go and, and, and maybe like Christmas Eve, give their lives to Christ. That's the 40%. But what, and, and by the way, that means that we will always work to reach the 40%. We'll always try to do church the best we can and, and try to give the message of Christ as clearly as we can in the, in the walls of our church. But what about the 60%? Because Jesus loves the 60% just like He loves everybody else. Just like He loves the 4%. He loves them. And He says, go into all the world. That means the 60% get covered too. And this discovery, this, this 4% thing, in other words, 90, 96% of the people in our county are not believers, that has rattled my cage. That has, that has consumed much of my ministry thought in life. And, and it changes my picture for the future, and I hope it changes yours. Now, I want to read something to you because I want to introduce an idea to you. Um, I got this as a gift one of our kids one uh, kids gave me this book here for Thanksgiving called Capital Gains. It's by Chip Gaines, the fixer-upper dude. And he wrote this. I'm going to read, take the time to read this. He wrote this. This is chapter 14 in the book. It's called Team of Rivals. And he kind of gives this parable. He says, let's say I'm digging a ditch. The day is young, the sun is hot, and there's plenty of hole left to dig. Then some random guy walks past and offers to give me a hand. What's my answer? It's yes, of course. No pondering, no questions, just yes, I need the help. In a situation like that, it seems crazy to stop to consider the potential helper's pastimes or belief systems. Say he practices homeopathic medicine or chases after tornadoes or believes in alien life forms. 
What business is that of mine? I'm just thrilled to have an extra set of hands digging the ditch. When you are busy getting real work done, being choosy about who you're willing to work alongside seems like a pretty big luxury to me. Now, if we're in the ditch all day, there's bound to be some time to talk. So in the case of the storm chaser, I ask him to share his thoughts about inclement weather. And since we've got plenty of time, I take advantage of the opportunity to learn about what he does and why he's so passionate about it. I begin to understand a little of what makes him tick, and I think even learn something, and I can even learn something of where he came from and where he's been. There's a good chance that this tornado chaser has something to say that I need to hear. I'm a pretty opinionated guy, but I try to just listen and not the kind of listening where I wait for a law in his monologue so I can jump in and be heard. Instead, I try to really listen past the what to the why because it's so hard to learn when I'm sure I already know all the answers. Maybe this new acquaintance never gets around to asking about me, about what I think and believe in, and the future I hope for. He doesn't think to ask, or maybe he doesn't care to know. Then again, he may be genuinely interested in getting to know me after all. If he asks, I start with some of the easy stuff, the names and ages of my kids, the town I grew up in. But as the day goes on, eventually there's nowhere to go but straight to the matters of the heart. Turns out, the ditch we're digging is the length of the divide between us, the span of our differences, and there's so far to go before sundown. As we keep on digging, if he lets me, I eventually share what wakes me up in the night, the things that make my head a bit dizzy, because I love them so much, and the horrible, awful stuff that makes my blood run cold. I'm a talker and could go on and on about these things for some time, but I hold back. This gentleman has already been so selfless and laboring beside me, I don't need to talk his ear off. When I picture this event in my mind's eye, we look pretty different. Different height, different hair, eye color, even different skin tones. When he speaks, it's in an accent that I can't quite make out. All I know is that in this scenario, I'm not like him and he's not like me. And that's more than okay. In fact, it's irrelevant. Had he been just like me, the work wouldn't have gotten done any quicker. In fact, pretty early on in the day, he identifies a way we could work smarter. I've been digging ditches for some time in these parts, and I don't know anyone who does it the way he's suggesting. But it seems like a thoughtful approach, so we try it. And it shaves off hours from the work. So I'm thankful for the fresh eyes. By day's end, we span the whole divide. Without his help, it would have, been, it would have taken a second full day of hard labor to get to where we stand today. I express my gratitude, but there's no money in my pockets to pay him for his work. And he maintains that he would have refused it anyway. So I invite him to my home for dinner. It's a humble meal, but everything we have to offer, we gladly share. And it isn't until midway through the meal that he really begins to open up. He shares his story, even the difficult parts. And I'm pleasantly surprised by his vulnerability. His words pour out like they've been bottled up for years, waiting on an invitation to share. Some of his words are hard to hear. He sees the world differently than I do, and several times I have to bite my tongue to keep from interrupting. But I listen, and eventually I manage to see things from his perspective. We talk well until after midnight. When I walk him out, we shake hands in parting and embrace. Then he's gone. Had I not invited him to dig the ditch with me, really, he offered... I would never have known this man, not his name, nor his story, nor his point of view. And I know I would have been worse off for it. 
In the time that it took to dig a ditch, he went from stranger to co-worker to teacher to friend. Now he starts to think this out. It's easy to judge other people's characters and snub or stiff-arm them before even getting to know what makes them tick or where they're coming from. But when you spend hours working hard toward a common goal with someone, your differences and preferences tend to fall by the wayside. Being down in that ditch makes a way for us to gain a new respect for one another. It makes space to really listen. If I populate my life with people just like me, then my world's going to be mighty small indeed. Maybe one person deep in all directions. If there are no opposing views, no fresh vantage points, then there's no stretching beyond myself. No growth, no change. Some people don't want to deal with the inevitable growing pains that accompany change. They'll choose comfort over confrontation any day. This kind of thinking actually scares me. Biology teaches us that we're either growing or changing or we're dying. And I'm not about to atrophy due to some misguided sense of self-preservation or fear of change. Jesus taught us the same picture, tried to give us the same bird's eye view in Luke chapter 10 when a religious leader who was trying to trap him in a discussion came to him and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He just wanted to test Jesus. and You know the story. Jesus says, it's the Shema, the Jewish Shema. You know, love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And then Jesus says, and there's one more. Love your neighbor as yourself. And after a few minutes, this, this religious leader came back to him and said, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus gave this uh, picture. That he, he gave a parable of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And I won't go into the story, but here's the, the reality of that. The, the, the neighbor, Jesus was saying, is the person who is least like you. He used the Samaritan in this because they lived close by, but they were so different. They were different in, in religion. They were different in race. They were different in values. They were just totally different. And Jesus says, this is my neighbor. I am to love my neighbor. Now, I've discovered that my neighbors, and not just in our neighborhood, but the people that I come in contact with all the time are not like me. We're totally different. Our values are different. Our goals, our philosophy of life, our faith, pretty much everything I need to work, pretty much everything. I need to work at trying to figure out a way to be with them. We don't have to agree on everything to be friends. Now, I've got to tell you something. I, I am really deeply concerned about where we are as a nation today. We have more division and more strife and more hatred than I've ever seen. And I grew up in the 60s. I mean, I saw the civil rights movement and, and all of that needed to happen. But what I see today is, is so much deeper I believe. And it extends to all kinds of places. More division than ever. I used to describe myself, if somebody asked me about my faith, I used to say I'm an evangelical Christian. I've quit saying that because now that's a political action group. That is not what I was trying to describe. In fact, I, I experienced something this summer 
that was so frustrating to me because we, we went to Israel and I had a great opportunity to just sit and talk to our guide who was Jewish uh, in, in, the, in the bus that we were in for an hour. And we were talking about our backgrounds and why Israel is so important. And so in the process of this, I said, well, I'm a Christian. And immediately he looked at me and he goes, I don't think you know what you're saying. And I said, okay, tell me. <laughs> he goes, okay, um, here in this land, we have a lot of history with Christians. He says, let me tell you about the Crusaders. They marched under a cross on their flag while they were raping and pillaging our nation. I said, okay, I'm in a different group. He goes, not in our eyes. And he wasn't being, I mean, he was so kind and gracious and we had a great conversation. He goes, he goes you're just one of the three groups, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. He said, and I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, I just feel like a low run on a food group or something. It's just, this, this wasn't good. This wasn't good. And I realized that I had to somehow convey to him that, okay, I'm not in a group like this. I am simply trying to love Jesus and follow Him and honor the things that He has taught me. And that's what I want to do today. And that's what I want to do uh, from now on, to just love people into the kingdom of God. Because I can't stick by all the things that I've held on to and relate to the people who need us most. We can't do it. I'm going to give you another little business tidbit here that you might want to write down. Think about this. I learned this from somebody a long time ago. He said this, and I, I, I didn't understand it. I really understand it today. It takes 20 years to build something great. Think about that. It takes 20 years to build something great. I have seen that happen over and over. You can build something good in five years. You can build something really good in 10 years. For it to be great, for it to have a perpetuated life, it takes 20 years to do something really great. Uh, we're, we just celebrated our 18th year here at Destiny Church. We've still got some stuff to do. But I'm starting to think because of this, what am I going to do for the next 20 years of my life? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not under the assumption that I have a guaranteed 20 years. I could get run over by a bus today. I, I understand all of that. But I want to look at what's next. I want to look at what's next for our church I want to look at the next 20 years and say, hey, what are we doing? What are we going to do? What's going to, what's going to move the needle of the 4%? How can we do that? Tied with all of this idea and things that are going on in my heart, I want to fill you in on something that I think is where God is, is leading me. Um, 13 years ago, I bought a piece of property here in Leesburg. Many of you know where it is. It's, I call it Greenway. Um, it's on 15 South. It's in the town limits. And uh, I'll show you a picture. I, can we put the first picture of this place? Well, that's not really a picture, actually. It's a, it's a floor plan. Just, just hang on to that. Just stay there. Um, this is right as you go out of town. Before you get to Woodley Manor, it's on the right-hand side. There's a barn, manor house, and some other buildings there. And I bought this. Our, our company bought this. And we've been just hanging on to it for 
gosh, 13 years. Um, <laughs> we, it, it's been annoying because we're paying uh, you know, all the freight on this, and really um, I haven't had much of a development plan. It's been a hard piece of property to develop for one thing, but more than that, I've had like four or five great ideas, and they just seem to go nowhere. And at one point, this was one of the turning points in this whole thing. I was just so frustrated with this. And I thought, you know, I'm going to sell this. We, my company could buy an office building and we'd be just fine. And I came home and we, we were having family dinner. And uh, I just mentioned, hey, I think I'm going to sell Greenway. And Robert, who at the time was uh, maybe, I don't know, 12 years old. It was at a very irritating time in life. He looked at me and he yelled at me. He said, you can't sell that. I thought you said God gave it to you. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I didn't say that. But, but I got up from that table. I was humiliated. Not, not like he had dissed me. But, well, yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. Um, but I, I just felt like it was God speaking to me. Changed everything. And I just said, Lord, if you, if you want this, you've got to, you've got to show us. And, and so, we've just been walking through this. It wasn't until this past year that I really felt like I understood what this was all about. This property was originally settled in 1742 by Quakers. They used to have um, Quaker prayer meetings on this property, and the land has been dedicated to God. And I, I didn't, you know, I found all of that out later after after we purchased it, and I, I won't go into that whole thing. But um, I've just sensed that this was a place that God wanted to use, and so my company's just been carrying it, and you know, so here's here's what we're going to do. This is let me just show, I'm going to walk over here um, and show you what we have right now. This you probably can't see, but this is the barn. Back here is the manor house where we have Destiny School of the Arts, and uh, those are the only two things really that are, I've got an office building in there and some other things, but, but that's, those are the things that are existing. What we decided to do was try to build something that would engage the community in multiple levels and let us use the property for many, many different kinds of things. So what you see here now is an architect's rendering of where we're headed, some of the things that we're, we're planning on. Attached to the barn is going to be a connecting building, and attached to the connecting building is going to be a building right here that is multi-level, that in the, in the lower level, go ahead and go to the next slide, and I may have you come back to this one in a minute. In the lower level is going to be this, this area here. It's, it's a really great kids' ministry area. Now, we're going to use it through the week because Destiny School of the Arts has just blown out the doors. There's no more room for them to grow. So we'll be able to double the size of the school by having this this building here. And then on the weekends, we're going to use this as part of our church. That'll be our kids' ministry area. Let's go to the next slide for a moment. And you can see there, this is on the upper level. This is the auditorium that we hope to build. Now, We only have church one day a week, so what do you do with all of this the rest of the time? We've got the school in there in the daytime. On the weekends, or through the week, 
We're going to operate this as a corporate uh, event center. Um, on, the, on Fridays and Saturdays, we're doing weddings. And, because, and that'll pay for the whole stinking thing, okay? If you want your kid to get married here, start saving your money. Okay, I'm just saying. Um, go back to the first picture. I'm going to mess you up here a little bit. You can see back here, um, we've got places back here to do outdoor weddings. The road goes around. This is a, another building we're going to build over here. Uh, that could be an office and restaurant, that kind of thing. But the whole picture um, really is, is for this, for us, is we want to bring our community to us. And our church is going to be in the middle of it. I want to... Um, <laughs> up, see where the pond is? There's a white bridge that I built. I didn't build it. I had some Amish guys build it for me. bridge costs $14,000. And Amish people make a lot of money. Um, it's the bridge to nowhere. It just goes out to an island. But there's another thing I want to show you. Go, go to the last picture. It's another bridge. We have to build this bridge. And to me, this is really symbolic. This takes us across... Um, actually, the town was so kind to build a wetlands right over our easement to Mead Drive. And... So now we have to build a bridge. We were going to build a road. But um, it's the bridge that connects us to Battlefield Parkway. But for me, it's so symbolic because I believe that it's something that needs to connect us to our community. This whole property needs to connect us. I want to just let me give you some, some vision ideas, some thoughts that we have. Um, the school. I've been... I've been so blessed to get to meet some folks that recently that are... Um, if, if, I don't know if you guys read my blog or not. It's gregwigfield.com if you have any interest. It's called Better Business, Better Ministry. And I talk in there uh, about a story about meeting a guy who runs this huge charter school uh, deal in Baltimore. And they are helping us figure out how to work with the county education system so that we can fill Destiny School of the Arts with uh, at least 50% of the school with children uh, who are in our county who cannot speak English. And the goal, I've, I've shared this with you before, the goal is to have these kids come in by the time they're two and three years old and give them a seven to eight year scholarship in our school. By the time they get to elementary school, they will be fluent in English, and, and we're, we've already tested this out and it's working beautifully. We just need a way to, to finance it to, to make it happen. And so these folks are helping us figure out how to pay, because these scholarships are sixty dollars to $80,000 per child. And we just want to put a 100 of them in our school. So you, you only have to think a little bit to do the math on this. That's just one way of connecting. We want to build a cafe in the, in the I'll call it the connecting building that's, that's uh, just... You know, open to the public. Um, we're going. This is the coolest thing right here. This little thing right here is the smokehouse that sits on the back of the thing. We're going to move it to the front, and that's going to be coffee and ice cream. And I don't care if nobody shows up, I'll be there. Um, but 
that's, I mean, the whole I, we've got other ideas for this, this, but the whole idea is to build a place where people will come and we will be there. And we will figure out ways to, to minister to them, to help them, to have, to have parenting classes or, you know, all the things that we could do and be a place where people are not threatened or think this is some kind of religious haven. It won't be. We're going to love people. We're going to sit at the table with them. We're going to engage them. The, the, just the, the school alone has given us so many opportunities to interact with people who will never come to our church. We, we have 300 people associated with that school right now, none of whom will ever go to a church. And we get to be their friends and serve them. And you guys helped do that uh, in December when we did the DSOA concert. I want us as a church, and by the way, this is probably somewhere we think between three and four years to completion because of everything you have to jump through. And we need miracles, and on the 21 days of prayer, we're going to be praying about some of this. But this is what's coming. Uh, And I want us to be bridge builders uh, for people to Jesus. I want us to recognize that every voice matters. Every person on the planet has something to teach us. Every person you meet has a story to tell that needs to be heard. Our dinner tables need to be places where enemies are lost and friendships are forged. Greenway needs to be a place where our neighbors want to be, and we, the church, need to be right in the middle of that. Let me see, how am I doing? Okay, I'm going to have to end this. Um, For those of you who are OCD, go to your notes. Let me give you the words. You can do your own sermon. God is not done with you. Leave the past in the past. Aggressively approach your future. I want you to do that. I want you to join me. I want you to be part of this. I want us... we got three and a half years maybe here. Let's start doing these things now. Let's start changing now. Let's start loving people now. People that are not like us. People that are different than us. Different politically or religiously or whatever. Love people. That's what Jesus said. Love God and love your neighbor. And then he described the neighbors as those who are close to us who are different than us. I want you to join us.